This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Hey, welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Steelhead Alley, Hatback. We're going to talk all about it with David Eskenazi in a moment. We are joined by Mariners Hall of Famer <laughs> Gary Hill Ricker is here. Dan Wilson has joined us. Dan, it is great to see you. Yes. Gary, yes. Rick, everybody. Boy, it's great to be here. That's it's great. a standing ovation. I know. That's, ex- that's do exciting. You, do you get Thank that you. everywhere you go? <laughs> pretty much. Because that's no. pretty great. Yeah, that is great. Thanks for everybody coming out tonight. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, yeah, this is. it's getting close. I mean, you know, as soon as you get to the new year, everything starts to point towards Peoria and it's it's an exciting time of year for sure. Tell the folks uh, what uh, typical off season is like for you. A chance to relax and take it easy, but then you get ready. You go down to spring training, and we keep you pretty busy down there, don't? Yeah, we? absolutely. You know, this is a time of year. You actually, as as uh, especially on the player development side, we're talking about minor league players. You can get some things done. You know, they're at home. They're they're in their. Uh, you know, some some people are down in Arizona, but most guys are at home. They're working out. They're getting ready physically. But we try to do some stuff mentally, especially with. Uh, I get to work with the catchers and uh, we have them on zoom calls uh, just about you know once a week and we're pumping them full of information trying to make them better trying to help them uh, handle pitchers and that kind of thing and and uh, really work on the mental side of the game and it's an opportunity to do that which is great Uh, and then we get down to Arizona and yes it's uh, you know you got minor league camp going on you got big league camp going on uh, games going on it's just uh, uh, a lot going on every day and and uh, it's a blast it's a lot of baseball sure and watching what Cal did this year, his development. I mean, there's no one happier than you to watch what he did. He's just a special player. And, uh, you know, just to see that home run, uh, <laughs> the epic home run, it was just it just makes you smile every time you think of it. And, um, you know, couldn't have happened to a better guy, a guy, you know, obviously that had struggled a little bit early on, spent some time in the minor leagues, got his chance to come back and took – you know, huge advantage of that opportunity, and you could just see him getting better and better and better. Uh, I'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do this year, coming in with with a lot of confidence and uh, putting together, you know, hopefully a, a whole season uh, of Cal Raleigh and, and what he could, the numbers he could put up. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of home runs off that bat. Dan, you caught for a, a long time in the big leagues and was such a big part of the Mariners' history, especially in 1995. You caught Randy Johnson. That was a tough day at the ballpark catching Randy, uh, Mr. Snappy, you know, in the dirt, that slider. Uh, Cal Raleigh with, with the torn ligament and fractured thumb, I mean, you went through a lot of aches and pains. And I asked Justin Hollander this, but how did that kid get through that? I don't know. And I, I don't think any of us knew the extent of it. I don't even think he knew really the extent of it until the season was over. He was able to go get it looked at. Um, but that's, you know, I think it's really a testament to the kind of player he is. He's really an old school kind of guy. Uh, you know, his dad was a Division One baseball coach. Uh, you know, he's kind of the old school guy. Uh, and, and he wasn't, he's the type of guy, you're not going to get him out of that lineup. He, he yeah. wanted to be in there as much as possible. I know Scott and, and the coaching staff was trying to rest him as much as they could uh, because he was such a big part of, of that team. Uh, and so, you know, when they had a little bit of time to rest him, they were able to do that. But that thumb, you know, as a catcher, your, your thumb takes a beating. And, and there are times where it hurts, you know, pretty much the whole season. Yeah. Uh, but what he was going through was different. I mean, it was torn off the bone from what I understand. Um, and I don't know how he had any strength to, 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 to receive the ball. Uh, he was just going on all guts. And, and uh, But 
but wow, I mean, uh, what a performance he put on. Uh, thankfully, he was able to still swing a bat, which was great. Um, but, uh, man, to, to, to get back there, the, the grit, the determination that it took, uh, especially, you know, we're not talking about guys that, that are easy to catch. When you got, you know, Castillo's <laughs> yeah. slider, it's just that's yeah. the pitch that's going to blow your thumb up. And, you know, and he's in there. He's, and he's got a left-handed Robbie Ray who's throwing that slider that's going to rip that thing up too. But he just stuck it out and, and uh, he just did an amazing and a masterful job. Dan Wilson is here. He's going to stay with us for the entire hour. Ryan Roland-Smith will be here shortly. David Eskenazi is going to join us coming up next. We're going to talk about this beautiful, awesome. beautiful, yeah. It this is venue so is good. incredible. So we're going to talk all about what we are looking at. We're going to describe it the best we can. It's pretty incredible. So we'll do that. We come back on the hot stove right after this. Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to Hatback. Great to have you with us here. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Dan Wilson, Dave Eskenazi is here as well as we're going to talk about. We're inside Hatback and Steelhead Alley, and behind us, a beautiful display pictures and jerseys and bats. It is really incredible. I I don't know where to start, Dave. Where where do we start with what we're looking (laughs) at? Well, we're looking at about 130 years plus of Seattle baseball history, and a lot of it in this space focuses on uh, the diverse cultures and communities and kind of undertold stories in Seattle's baseball history. It's amazing. Uh, I got here in 1983. Veda Pinson was one of our coaches. I'm glad to see a Veda Pinson jersey up there. And also Rupert Jones. I mean, we could spend all day talking about it. Dave Henderson, a picture of my buddy here, Dave Henderson. Uh, How tough was it to decide what went on the wall here? Oh, it really had to be narrowed down. There's uh, way more images and artifacts and stories than there is wall space. Yeah. But the good news is there's still space and we can rotate things over time and uh, a lot of great stories to tell. And it'll be good to, you know, share it in such a great community space like this. And Dave, I, 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 I got to imagine a lot of this is yours. And I know we talked about it a little bit, but uh, is this just stuff that you've accumulated over time? Uh, where is all this from? Because I, I look here, and, and I've been to Hatback now a couple of times, maybe two or three times. Each time I'm here, there's more and more. It just continues to grow, and it's all just incredible stuff. Uh, I'd love to sit with you and hear the story of every single <laughs> thing that's here because it looks amazing. But where, where did this stuff come from? Well, from from many different sources, I've always kind of had the collector gene, and it's in my family. And I was just telling Rick, it started with, like most kids, little baseball fans with baseball cards at age seven or so, and then just grew from there. And just, uh, you know, my wife sometimes calls it a disease. I I call it a harmless uh, hobby. I, I love the baseball glove up there, and that's the glove of? That's Julio Cruz's, oh, one of wow, his game wow. gloves, yeah, that he signed. That's a yeah. Is that the glove where he caught the final out of Gaylord's I don't game? know. I'd, I'd like to think that. Probably not. <laughs> and if you recall that video when Gaylord was pitching, one out away from his 300th career win in May of 1982, Willie Randolph hits a ground ball to the right side of the infield, and Julio feels the ground ball, and he takes about four steps before he throws it. And we asked him, you know, why did it take you so long? He said, I had to find his dry side on the ball. It was loaded with Vaseline. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> That's quite appropriate. Because yeah. I saw Todd Cruz throw a ball 18 rows in the front row back in 1983 when Gaylord was pitching. And Gaylord would get really upset with guys who made an error behind him. 
And I, and I watched him go back to, to have a little talk with Todd. I thought, oh, he's going to ream him out. And, and they were laughing. And so I asked Gaylord, you know, what'd you talk to Todd about? This was in the clubhouse at Old Milwaukee Stadium. Right. And he said, I told him next time, throw it on the dry side. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Gaylord thought he was grandfathered in with all the dead ball pitchers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But these are great stories, yeah. David. Oh, Dave, we, can we stay on gloves? Because I see sure. a catcher's mitt right behind yeah. you. And I'm curious. That's an old one. Okay, so that's Ray Orteg. And he was... He was the equivalent of Dan Wilson for the Seattle Rainiers. In fact, when we did a display in the in the museum space at the stadium about six or seven years ago, it was called Connecting Generations, and we would have a modern-day Mariner player paired with an early Seattle baseball player, and Ray Orteg was paired with Dan Wilson. Oh, there you yeah, go. So he caught for the Rainiers from 53 to 58. He was an all-star. Uh, and that's his uh, game glove from wow. his Rainier's days. How'd you like to catch with that thing, Dan? Oh, man, I just <laughs> love to put my hand in that thing. Yeah. Wow. That looks, now, is that a donut glove, or it's got a hinge? Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, when we change things out, we'll pull it off there, and you can, uh, yeah, you can try perfect. it out. Dan. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and when fans walk into T-Mobile Park... There's emblazoned at the end of each aisle a picture of a pitcher throwing a ball. And that would be a 19-year-old Fred Hutchinson, Mm -hmm. fresh out of Franklin High School, the pitching star for the Seattle Rainiers in their first year in 1938. Won 25 games uh, in the Pacific Coast League as a teenager, including his 19th on his 19th birthday. Wow. And uh, was the hottest prospect in baseball in the fall of 1938. Wow. Does your house look like this? <laughs> you would never know I was a collector walking into my house because, uh, you know, I want to remain gainfully uh, married. <laughs> 35 years in July. So. Well, you do so much for our Toys for Kids charity, the things that you donate to help raise money for homeless kids. How about you? And you didn't forget the ladies, ladies. Yeah. There's a picture of a ladies baseball team here. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about that one? That's the uh, Tacoma-based team, the Pacific Mutual Fuelerettes, and they were softball champions in the early 50s. Next to them, you have the Seattle Owls, who are a a, a wonderful team, very, very talented, that also won state championships. You know, again, little known, and it's just great to be able to start with the images, which are real evocative, and we're eventually going to have QR codes where you can... I read about oh, uh, every wow. picture you're oh, looking that's at. Cool. Share it that Great way, idea. And hopefully, oh, do podcasts goodness. and other things along those yeah. lines. The so, scorebook that I'm looking at. Yeah. What what game is that from? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up, Gary, because that is uh, Danny May's scorebook from 1946. Wow. He was a sports writer, and sportscaster in Spokane, and that is a game, uh, House of David versus the Harlem Globetrotters traveling baseball team. Now, a month earlier, the Harlem Globetrotters traveling baseball team was the Seattle Steelheads, who this place is named after. Wow, okay. So the Steelheads only existed as the Steelheads for about two months in the West Coast Negro Baseball Association. Then they reverted back to the Harlem Globetrotters traveling baseball team, and that's an actual scored game from... uh, really effectively the steelhead so wow. yeah. when i saw that the first time many years ago i just goosebumps on my goosebumps Where so did you glad find to be that? able to display yeah. it well i got it from a family member from okay. one of danny may's family you know beat in the bushes scary yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's how you impressive do it. yeah visiting with david eskenazi a baseball historian and thank you for doing all this keeping all these great stories alive what was the 
first thing you ever collected? Do you remember? Well, it was started it, all this. It was it was baseball cards. You know, yeah. that's that's where we started. I have a brother that's two years older, and we, yeah, we were really loved baseball and loved baseball cards. And yeah. I've told this story before, but in fact, uh, we figured out that. If we went around the neighborhood when older kids got more interested in girls and cars and asked them for their baseball cards, they'd give them to us. <laughs> and uh, at my wow. oldest brother's 30-year high school reunion, he said three guys came up to him and asked him if I still had their baseball cards. <laughs> yeah. My first card was a Dan Wilson card when I was a kid. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Maybe Louis Aparicio, right, Rick? Yes. That's right. You yeah. know, 1956. American League Rookie of the Year. So, Dave, all this great stuff, do you have a favorite that sits here? I mean, I, I can't imagine it's got to be hard for you to say this is my favorite thing. Is there, is there, is there a favorite item? Is there a favorite untold story uh, from, from something here that, that we really need to hear? Well, I don't know if I could say, you know, narrow it down to a favorite item, but one of the images I like the most is of this Mikado mm. baseball quartet. So this was a Japanese team in the commercial league in 1919. Wow. They're at Dugdale Park, which is the Pacific Coast League ballpark. It was the best ballpark. So they had amateur and city league teams playing at that park as well. But if you can get a close look at that photo, just the pose and the confidence of these of these guys and then you got the kid with the photo bomb on top yeah. of the Seattle, <laughs> Seattle dugout I just that that image is almost like a painting to me it's just wow really evocative so I, I love that uh, that particular image right now the Mariners play in I think the most beautiful ballpark in baseball but long ago it was six stadium right the home of the Seattle Rainiers and then other ball clubs prior to the Mariners coming here in 1977 what can you tell us about Old Six Stadium, and how many games did you have a chance to yeah, watch I, there as a kid? I caught the tail end of the Seattle Angels, which they came after the Seattle Rainiers, so they're from 65 to 68. Then, of course, the one-year wonder, Seattle Pilots in 69, and yeah. I caught some of those games. Got to go see my favorite team, the Red Sox. I couldn't sleep for a week before being able to go see Yaz and Tony Canigliaro and yeah. the like. And uh, But Six Stadium, when it was built, it was the finest minor league ballpark in the country and nicer than a lot of major league stadiums. Just steel and concrete and a beautiful Art Deco design and beautifully groomed. And it was, it was, a, it was a palace. By the time the pilots got there, it was kind of a little, little, ram, little ramshackle, <laughs> not really suitable for Major League Baseball. But uh, Mike Hegan told me they were still pounding nails to build bleachers and still painting to get ready for the opening day against the Chicago White Sox, I believe. I, yeah, I always thought that story about them still painting the bleachers was uh, apocryphal. But uh, then I got a bunch of files that came from the pilot's offices years, years ago in my collecting pursuits, and I found a letter that a woman wrote that she got blue paint on her, <laughs> on her raincoat. So it's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. true. Yeah, Mike we have, we have proof. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's so much history. It goes back so far. And then you've got some more recent day. Uh, and, 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 Rick, I know you love to see Hendu smiling there. What oh, a great shot of Hendu. Buddy, yeah. Um, holding a bat, getting ready to take some BP. But the, the, the picture of the two Griffies um, mm. jumping out at me. Love that shot. The, the father-son generational uh, playing on the same team, oh, what a great pick! Incredible. That's just yeah. That's another fabulous image. It really is. 1990. I mean, uh, you contributed a lot to this collection. Who else 
contributed to the collection? Well, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver at the Black Heritage Society was a really integral in this in this process as well, and SHKS, the architectural firm, and Emily Andrews and her team and everybody that uh, came up with all the concepts and the design. So there was a lot of back and forth, and you know, Fred Rivera was the was the quarterback, and just a lot of lot of really great people involved, and I think everybody really enjoyed the. Really enjoyed the process. Our yeah. friend Rivera. Team effort. Yeah. Who works. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Awesome. What a good yeah. friend. Yeah. So uh, 100 years from now, what are people going to look at when you're going to be collecting? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe old Dan Wilson catcher's <laughs> glove. Yeah. 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 It's along those lines. Julio How Rodriguez. did he catch with that thing? That's what they'll say. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Danny and I caught with our very first gloves That's on, right. on the field one day. Yeah. He still had his first glove. I still had mine, my 1959 Nelly Fox. Yeah, I had my old McGregor catcher's mitt. That was tiny, but I still got my hand in there, and we had a we had a catch. Yeah, it was my, fun. My glove was just barely bigger than my hand. <laughs> That's right. Dan, you still walk around with your gamer. I still see it. I see. Yeah, from time to time, I'll, yeah. I'll put that thing on. Yeah, that's a, that, and that stands, you know, 20 years old plus. So crazy. Maybe not quite 20. 17. Yeah. Closing there. in. It's getting there, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and did you play a lot of baseball, David, growing up here I, in the Northwest? I had no chance of hitting a curveball ever, so I you know, no. just threw Little League and a little rec- recreationally after that, and that was, that was about it for me. I knew my limitations. Thank goodness yeah. you did what you did. Yeah. Of everything you have, do you have, not just here, but yeah. anywhere, do you have an absolute favorite thing you've collected? I don't really think so. I, there, there's one photograph that I have that sentimentally means a lot to me because it was given to me by my grandfather. Um, after that 38 season with the Rainiers and Fred Hutchinson, there's an exhibition game arranged at Six Stadium where Bob Feller, who was another kid, teenage wonder, but was in you know three years into his major league career, there would come out here and pitch against this new Northwest phenom, Fred Hutchinson, at Six Stadium. And uh, my grandfather got to know a lot of these players because he had a shoe repair shop, and they'd come into his shop. And Fred Hutchinson actually gave him a photo of him and Bob Feller signed by the whole team. And my grandfather gave that to me when I was young. So that's that probably has wow. the most uh, sentiment and resonance to me, that wow. photograph. You have such a, a deep love, obviously, for the game of baseball. Who are some of your favorite players right now? with the Mariners. There's so many kids to fall in love with, you know. Well, this Julio kid's pretty good. He's not <laughs> I kind of like him. I like that. Raleigh kid's pretty good, too. Yeah, there you go, Dave. Think yeah, catchers. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at what you did, Dan. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. I, I love this team, like uh, everybody in this room, so I'm, I'm really excited to you know, see what's what's coming up. I'm, I'm a superstitious baseball fan, like all true baseball fans, so I don't want to say too much, but yeah. I'm, I'm quite enthused. Let's put it that way. Well, Dave, congrats. This looks amazing. Oh. I recommend when people come here, they pick out a table where they can just eat and stare yeah. at the wall and just really take it all in. Uh, it's incredible. Congrats. Thanks for coming in to talk Thank about it. We so appreciate much, it. Thank you so much, Gary and Dan and Rick. There it is, Dave Ekinazi. Yeah. We come back. Ryan Roland-Smith is going to join us. We'll continue to talk some Mariners here on Hot Stove. We come back right after this. Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back. This is the Hot Stove here at Hatback. We've got real, some real star power here. Gary Hill, not the star power. Dan Wilson, now Ryan Roland Smith. 
What's happening? Hyphen, great to see you. Good to see you guys too. Uh, you just got off a plane. That's how dedicated That's right. you are to us. That's right. And drove right here. We that, appreciate this. No, no worries. And a surprise trip. I had no idea I was going to Australia, by the way. My, my wife, she's awesome. I was complaining. No offense to everyone here who grew up in Seattle, but the winters are tough. Hey, we get it. <laughs> and she, she was just like, look, um, you know, basically within weeks, she, we went to the airport. I thought I was dropping my in-laws off. And I'm just there, you know, like, yeah. all right, drop them off the airport, go home. And she's like, oh, here's your passport. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, Merry Christmas. This is your Christmas present. <laughs> I'm like, what? Boom. I was on a plane to Australia. I couldn't believe it. Just surprised my whole family. Just got back. It was unreal. Wow. It was awesome. Good stuff. And it makes sense because I detect a deeper accent than normal. Yeah. So I think <laughs> yeah. Yeah. being around I don't the boys. Be, I don't yeah. have to be there for two days. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was the average temperature? Yeah, Gary, don't, you, you, when, we, on, when you're texting me. to see you if I'll be me. back in town for this, and you say, yeah, I, I know you didn't tell I said, me, but ask. I need to know. Don't ask. No, it was it was hovering around the 80s, the 90s. It was nice, oh. man. On the beach every day. It was good. <laughs> good stuff, yeah. But here I am. How do you get back for this? Well, thanks Excited. for waiting. Oh, you just got booed. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> yeah, My first sunshine. boo of the year. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be your last. It's fine. Yeah, I hope so. So, uh... Let's talk, uh, you know, it's funny, we had Justin Hollander on, who he could not talk about uh, A.J. Pollock, who is reported the Mariners have signed, which is pretty interesting, I think. Uh, just kind of your overall take on where the Mariners are at well, this point. Well, first of all, A.J. Pollock, he was um, my last year playing in the big leagues. He was a teammate of mine. So I uh, got to know him. Great guy. First of all, clubhouse guy, like to the max. And I know, you know, obviously you guys talked to Justin Hollander and how much of an emphasis they, they put on those that, those chemistry guys, guys who can come into a clubhouse. Yes, even you know, during when they were going through you know, some of the trade process and stuff during the trade deadline, getting Castillo. So that's number one. Number two, I think that you know, looking at that move, obviously left field, everyone has been you know, the question marks about what they're going to do left field. And I think if you look at, you know, let's, let's say they give, you know, Jared Kelnick, it's been a bumpy ride. We all know that. Let's say they give him a, a, a platform to succeed. I don't know what the plan is there to face righties. And then you put A.J. Pollock, who crushes lefties. Yeah. And he's a guy who comes in on the kind of deal you can platoon him out there at left field. So it's a, it's a nice little, you know, nice little pickup. I just think that, look, we got caught up at this time last year, if you remember, getting caught up with some of these big free agents. And, you know, if you remember, it was, it was Trevor Story and it was... Um, it's a bad news for Boston Chris today, Bryant. by the way. Yeah. Trevor Story, Tommy John. Really? Oh, wow. yeah, he's going to be out for a while. Well, there yeah. you go. No, but um, but him and, and Chris Bryant, and, and you get so fixated on some of these names, but then when you you, know, you talk to guys like Justin Hollander and you find out really what is the plan, there's so many layers to what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. So I think when you look at this offseason, first of all, going back to Teoscar Hernandez, man, I mean. I know. Nice. Yeah, look. Yeah, nice addition. <laughs> and again, nothing against pitching. But when, when you can, look, and I hope Swanson has a great career, Eric Swanson. Yeah. He's, he was, he great was dude, yeah. so good out of the bullpen. But when you can give up a bullpen <laughs> for something like that, are you kidding me? When I looked at that trade, usually the first thing yeah. I look at is, okay, what did it take to get him? I was like, what? Am I missing a name here? It was unreal. Awesome. I, th- I think they're in, a, they're in a good spot. And I still think there's still some, some stuff that we don't know about, just like s- similar to last year. I think that the, the trade market, I think, is going to pick up here, and you may see something else as well. Yeah, I, I would agree uh, with Hyphen. And the one thing that, that stood out to me uh, as we talk about, you know, Pollock is that, uh, you know, losing Mitch Hanniger in the outfield, also losing him in the clubhouse, a veteran guy who's been around, kind of the veteran guy that we had 
uh, as a position player. Uh, getting somebody like Pollock in here who's had the experience, like you're talking about, he's 35 years old. He's going to be that guy guys are going to look to. We have a young team. Uh, he's got World Series experience. We, yeah. you know, we love that. We, and that's going to help take them uh, maybe even deeper into the uh, playoffs this year. So I love the, the experience that he brings. I think that's just a, a, a great move uh, on the Mariners' part, and, and let alone the type of player he is. I think that's a, it's, it's a great move. And, and I look forward to, to seeing how he makes his impact. You know, we saw it last year with Carlos Santana and just the impact that he had almost immediately yeah. in that clubhouse. I think Pollock can be that guy. It, it, and it's so hard. And, and you know, Dan, you've been there. When you have guys like that in the clubhouse, you don't see it. Maybe you don't see it on the field. But, man, it makes such a difference. Yeah. It's a long season. There's a lot of those bus rides. There's a lot of those plane rides when you've just gone, you know, you just lost, lost the last five games. When you have those pieces in there that have been to the, the playoffs. He's been through a rough stretch even with the White Sox, you know, with, with some of the, the, the changeover there. Just having those guys, you, again, you just can't put enough emphasis on that. It's so important. It really is. But with a guy like A.J. Pollock, it gives Kelnick and Trammell time. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes sure. time to really become, you know, a big leaguer, what you think that Jared is going to be because the talent is there. And Taylor Trammell gives him time to ease in and face a lot of right-handed pitching where Pollock is going to face a lot of left-handed pitching and hits very well against the lefties. So I think, yeah, it's going to be, you know, a great addition. I, I want to talk to you, both of you guys, about the young players on this club and the impact that they made. And we've been talking about it for the last two hours. And we talked about it the last year and a half, you know, Cal Raleigh's and Logan Gilbert's and the George Kirby's and all the other young players. Julio Rodriguez, the American League Rookie of the Year. What were the biggest obstacles for each of you as a young player to really start to feel comfortable in the big leagues? I, I think for me, you know, you come out of the bullpen and, and I was, you know, that first stage, I think maybe for, for Dan it was a different sort of way to look at it. But I remember, you know, you first burst on the scene. You're like, yeah, I got to the big leagues. Awesome. And you, you've proven everyone wrong and you've done that. You've worked your way. You know, it took me six and a half years to get there. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, this is awesome. I want to stay. How do I stick around? What is it? Like, what, what are the things I do to be an established guy? You can't just hide down in the bullpen and hopefully get mop-up innings. At some point, you have to come into big games. I think for me, the, the difference was when I was put in the rotation, it's like all of a sudden, man, now I'm one of five guys and you have to perform. And the hard thing is when you start having success, all of a sudden the book gets that much thicker on you. The league starts to make these big adjustments and the hitters are so good. They jump from AAA to the big leagues. It's so different. Like I always used to say, when you throw that fastball in, the, the, the thing for me was, you know, how well can I pitch inside? Is that going to be a separate? How, how well can I pitch on both sides of the plate? Now I'm side to have righties all day, but get pitching in. And, you know, when you're in AAA, you can kind of have a pitch out over the middle as a mistake, and you still might get a bit of that, or, or on the handle. Big lease is completely different. Yeah. So I think when when you can overcome some of these fears you may have or these doubts, when you overcome that and you understand that, look, okay, they're going to make adjustments the way they hit. They're going to know me more because I'm having some success. And if you look, take that and say, okay, now they understand that I throw this pitch in, in this count. Well, all right, now they're aware of it, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Maybe they, they fear that pitch a little bit. That, when you have that, man, it, all of a sudden you start snowballing confidence. So I think, and, and talking about some of these young players, I, you know, first of all, Cal Raleigh. I mean, man, yeah, you go, when, when, you, when you kind of take a step back and you think about from the beginning of the year yeah, to yeah. the end of the year, and going back even, and, you know, like, look, Dan had an opportunity to work with him when he was coming up in the minor leagues, and you hear these young players saying, oh, yeah, it's so good having Cal, he's a, you know, he's a born leader and all this kind of, then you get to the big leagues, and then all of a sudden, the emphasis is on you, you have to show that 
you know, Tom Murphy goes down with an injury, all of a sudden you have to show that you're a guy back there. And he struggled, gets sent down, figures it out, rolls with it, makes adjustments offensively. And then next thing you know, he's the dude at the end of the year. And playing, what was the injury he had? Um, um, the Torn ligament. Torn, yeah. Unreal. Unreal, man. That, my respect just went through the roof when I heard about that at the end of the year. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's a saying in the game, and I, I, I agree with you, Hyphen. There's a saying in the game that it's, it's a lot easier to get to the big leagues than it is to stay there. And I think that really is the big hurdle for young players is, uh, you, you know, you, you come here, you're excited. Every game, every day is really, really exciting. Uh, you go two for four. It's great. You're, you're feeling good. And then you realize you got to do it all again tomorrow night. <laughs> and then you, you, you go one for four. You're still doing okay. And then you realize you, you got to do it again tomorrow night. And it's just that, that constant cycle mentally. It, it can be difficult. And I think that's the, that's really difficult on young players is, is understanding that uh, you know you're going to have a good day, uh, but you got to you got to string some good days together. You're going to have good weeks. You got to string those together, uh, and you just got to you know get through that grind. And I think that is a it's it's a very understated part of the game. And, and as young players, uh, there's so much other stuff on your plate. I think you, you mentioned Cal Raleigh and coming here and, and learning the pitching staff. I mean that's that is really difficult stuff. And I think they're confident can go one way or the other very, very quickly. And and I think in Cal's case, he got here. It, it didn't go well the first time, uh, and his confidence went down. He had a, a brief spell in, in, in Tacoma and then got back here, and things kind of went pretty well right away. And that you, you just saw his confidence take off. And once it took off, we started seeing the player that he was. And, and uh, boy, I, I, I'm just excited to, for him to come in this year uh, to start the season with that confidence and to see the, the type of the season he can have because I think it could be a pretty, pretty impressive one. Just on that real quick, and the one thing is too, and you don't see this with the Cal Raleigh, and you, you can never get comfortable. You know what I mean? Like never. you can't walk in, oh, I'll get this figured out. But obviously, because <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not going to lie. I, I went through a little stage and I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of got this figured out. I, I mailed it in the off season and, and that's why I think, too, just one last thing with, you know, like a Jared Kelnick right now. He's down in L.A. working with, you know, J.D. Martinez, hitting coach, you know, making these because he has that hunger to be like, you know what? No, no, no. I still, there is still so much left in the tank for me to be a good young player, let alone be a really good major league player. So that hunger stays there. And you see, you know, again, I, you look at some of these guys, and this goes back to that understanding your players. It's not going to be a situation where guys come in and you know, put on right. a few pounds, got comfortable, <laughs> no chance. You know, it's funny you, you, you mentioned that, Hyphen, because I, I'll never forget a conversation I had as a really young player in Cincinnati coming up with Tim Belcher, who eventually came here to pitch. And Tim was a pretty established veteran at the time, and I, I was talking to him with shagging balls in the NFL. I said, hey, Tim, when is it that the butterflies go away? You know, because here I am, like 23 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start in a game here in spring training. Even in spring training, you're incredibly nervous, right? I said, Tim, when do the butterflies go away? He goes, he just looked at me. I'll never forget. He said, they never go away. In fact, if they do go away, there's something wrong with you. You need to get out of the game. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's always there. And to your point, uh, Hyphen, it, it, it isn't. It's, you're never comfortable. And, and, uh, uh, but, but I, I think having that confidence of having a good season does help. I think, uh, with these young players that we have and, and, and the ability of, uh, of these guys to play together, to, to feed off of one another. It, it was really, really exciting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that this year. One of the things I'm looking forward to, I'm glad you guys are here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit how the game's going to look a little different next year, so we're going to take a stab at how things may shake out on the field when we come back. Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Ryan Roland-Smith, Dan Wilson all here. We'll come back on the hot stove right after this.
Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hotback Bar and Grill. And welcome back. It's the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us. We are from the Hatback. Steelhead Alley, Gary Hill, Rick Riz, Ryan Roland Smith, Dan Wilson, all here. We have a pitcher and catcher here, which is perfect. Uh, there's several rule changes coming up this year, and I know kind of the re- shift restriction is getting most of the headlines, but I want to start with throwing to first base from the pitcher's perspective and from the catcher's perspective, being limited. There's a chance we could see more stolen base attempts. How do you think it's going to shake out? Like, from a pitcher's perspective, and maybe you can tie it into the pitch clock, too. Things are pretty different. So, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's two. If you throw over the third time, you have to get him out, right? Yep. So you can still throw the third time. I want to make sure, because there was a little bit of... I remember going back a year ago, that was still kind of up in the air. But if that's the case, I look. That's a big gamble on it, the third one, by the way. Big time. <laughs> and you'll see that that that, that runner get off. I, I look. I don't like the game getting messed with too much, right? And if I was still playing, still pitching, I'd be like, oh, what is this? Because you know, throwing over the first man. Sometimes I'll slow to the plate. I need to, to to get that ball over the first and whatever. But I will say, if you do see the two attempts and then that third one, all of a sudden the crowd's like, oh man. The, the, the runner gets his giant yeah. lead. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, do I, too. I, I, I love it. And the other part of it is too, man. Sometimes as a pitcher, when you're pitching, and especially the hitters, it just the rhythm of the game, the rhythm of what you're trying to do mechanically as a pitcher, and, and obviously everything gets thrown out of whack when you're just throwing over the first base over and over. And I don't mind it, to be honest with you. I, I think, for all intents and purposes, I know you get two throwovers to, to first base uh, per hitter. It's really only one, because if you throw over the second time and you don't pick him off, he can get, like you're mentioning, this <laughs> enormous lead, right. and you're not going to throw him out. So you really only have one competitive attempt to, to try to pick the guy off, and you better use it wisely uh, because you don't want to have to throw over there again, and then he's got that free base. But I will say I think it puts more pressure on the hitter than it does uh, the pitcher or the catcher. I mean, there's, there is a, li- a little bit of a limited time that pitchers have and catchers have to think about pitches that they want to call to the next pitch but hitters now today have gotten so comfortable taking more time that i think it's really going to put the pressure on them Mm. pitchers have been told year after year you know quick tempo quick tempo quick tempo so the pitchers are are able typically to work at a quicker pace i think that's going to be a a big adjustment on the hitters and i think we're going to see the spring training games i would imagine are going to be just full of oh, a yeah. lot of these violations <laughs> oh, and, and yeah. you know umpires really trying to crack down to, to, to get these guys used to exactly what, what they're talking about and it, it in the minor leagues it has worked and it, it, it yeah. took a week or so uh, you know you ask any minor league player they'll say yeah it was a little bit of an adjustment it took a week or so but then we got used to it and then they also got used to the games being over in two and a half hours which they really really enjoyed so I think you know I think it, it, it's going to be faster it's just going to take a little bit of time. I do to wonder, too, the Mariners are really young team. They actually have a lot of guys that have played yeah. with these rules in the minor leagues. I wonder, at least to start the year, if there's some sort of advantage there. Yeah, I, Diego Castillo might have a problem with it. You know, he takes his time. and it, and just got to go faster. you got to move faster. So what kind of adjustments if a guy who likes to take his time, he's been doing it for years, how tough is it going to be? And for a catcher, Danny, the clock starts, I believe, when the pitcher gets the ball. So you got to have the signs ready to go a little bit quicker. Everything's got to be faster. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, I... I, I you knew I was doing well when I had that really fast tempo. Like, I'd catch the ball, and I'd have, you know, 
Roller Barney's came here when I was a rookie. He was like, hey, dude, thank you so much for working so quick. I was like, oh, you're welcome. You know, but I, just, <laughs> I felt better when I was get the ball back and go. Yeah. I couldn't do the big walk around. Yeah. Um, I, I do know this, though. This offseason, they have been implementing that the way they, they condition, too. There's some of the pitchers at some of these facilities, you know, like the one down the street and drive line. They're, they're, they're factoring in and they're just doing, hey, the stopwatch when they're first time on the mound because they, do, they don't want to... In an off-season, you know, you've got a rap soda or a track man, you throw a pitch and you look at all this data, but they're having sessions where they're like, okay, in-game, it's, it's a, it's a, I have to time out this clock. Because a lot of these guys, Gary, you mentioned the fact that you know, the Mariners are a younger team. Some of these older, older guys, it's going to change the way you're conditioned. And yeah, if you get to a situation where you are a guy who takes forever in between pitches, especially with no runners on, and the heart rate's up just a little bit, then all of a sudden you get to that fifth and sixth inning, things start to change. It starts to, to tax you a little bit. So it'll be interesting, but I do know that it is something that they are taking into some of the conditioning this offseason. I will say from a catcher standpoint too, and you bring up a good point, you, you don't have as much time. Uh, you get the ball back. You've got to know what pitch you're calling. You want to be – typically catchers are two or three pitches ahead anyway, yep. but you're going to want to be thinking ahead. But the one thing that I think has really helped is the pitch calm and, and being able to, to, to press that button and that pitcher hears. And, and I think we saw it a lot. I noticed this year with, with Cal Raleigh and, and Robbie Ray where Robbie Ray would be kicking, kicking the rubber, kind of cleaning it off, and he, you could see him shake his head. Like he was get, he already had the pitch yeah. he, before he even got on the rubber. So, so there, that will really help things speed along. Now, there are some guys that have not gotten comfortable with that yet. So spring training, again, will be a time where they need to start getting comfortable with pitch calm. Um, but I do think that will really, really help speed things along for both of those guys. Any thoughts on shift restriction? Is the impact going to be big or small? Well, I think I always look from talking to people. I like it. I do like it. Um, you know, if anything that that you know instigates more contact and more hit and run, you know, obviously the bigger bases and everything else. Yeah, more game action, sure. I like it. I still just feel like that these teams are going to find ways to just kind of generate some bigger shifts or some, you know, workarounds anyway. I know, obviously, I know there's, like, even like the runner at first base, the three attempts. It, as long as it doesn't turn into this, like, weird sort of gimmicky thing where all of a sudden the guy's getting this giant lead, then the pitchers realize that, you know, because analytics say that, you know what, just step off and let him take, you know, all this stuff, it kind of just makes the game turn automatic. I don't like that, but I, I, I don't mind it, to be honest with you. Anything that forces more balls going 10 hoppers through the infield and guys, you know, are starting to now get paid to make more contact, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, you yeah. reference the throws to first base, too. I, I talked to some minor league broadcasters. The reason they put that in is because if they didn't, it's an easy way to break the yeah. – if you're the pitcher, you can just step up. You yeah. could just step yeah. off throw to first a million times yeah. if you're going to break the – To reset the, the clock. To reset the clock. Yeah, so no doubt. Yeah, I think on the shifts, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but i got to believe left-handed hitters are going to be in an advantage this year. Yes. Because it, it, it They're hurts the ones them that are hurt the yeah. most. The most. And they've got the guy in short right field that has taken away yeah. umpteen hits. So I do think left-handed hitters, um, you know, that, that one-hand Fred that, that a lot of guys get that just kind of rolls into the <laughs> hole, uh, I think we're going to see more of those. And I, I, I like that. I, I, you know, that's going to bring more yeah. guys first to third as well. You know, the, the ball gets through the hole. Runner at first can get to third base. Um, I, I think it's going to just I, I do think left-handed hitters will ha hit for higher averages yeah. 
um, which you know I, I I don't have a problem with that. But I'm with I'm with hyphen. Like I, you know I've seen this play out in the minor leagues, and it has not changed the game all that much. But you're right. You don't know at this level what what might happen to it. So I I hope that it doesn't turn that way. But I do think the speed up rules are are a good idea. I'm going to love the defensive shifts and lack of it. Therefore, because it's it's going to look like the game of baseball that we know, and the shortstop and the second baseman can be athletic. I talked to J.P. Crawford about that. A lot of times, he wasn't a shortstop. He played behind second yeah. on the other side of the bag. Now he could do his thing over there, you know, at shortstop and second baseman as well. Well, we're done. Oh, wow. we're done from Hatback. That was fast. Thanks. Wow. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being wow. here. We're Rick Riz, Ryan Roland Smith, Dan Wilson. This is Gary Hill saying so long. We'll be back on seven ten next week, seven and nine on the hot stove. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for being here. We'll Drinks talk to you on next Gary week. next week. <laughs> <laughs>